All right. Well, hello, Riverhouse. We are here today with special guest Addison and Julie Bevere, and we're excited to have both of you here. So thanks for flying from Colorado Springs to Boise, Idaho. Uh, we're here in the Riverhouse office, and we're just going to have a conversation and get to pick their brains about what God's doing in their lives, what God's doing through them. And uh, yeah, we're excited. We're excited for this conversation. We're excited to be here, Jordan. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so how about you just introduce yourselves, um, you know, how you met, how you came together, okay. and maybe what you're doing as far as in ministry. I know there's a lot of things. I don't even fully know everything that you guys are doing from a kingdom perspective, so Mike's yours. Okay, well, I'm Addison. And I'm Julie. And we've been married for 12 years. 12 years in October. Yeah. Yeah, four kids, ages 11, 9, 6, and 4. Yeah, and that's... That's a full-time job. <laughs> He's like, that's, that's a lot. That's it. You're that's all we do. <laughs> yeah, we are being fruitful and multiplying. And we're from Colorado Springs, Colorado, and we we do a lot of different things there. Why don't you talk a little bit about where we come from, our story? Because I, I was here. Okay, I got to give you some context. I was here last year, and they put me on the spot. They had me share on this panel, they did. and yes, they were we throwing did. like dating questions at me. <laughs> and Jordan and Tracy wouldn't answer any of the questions because <laughs> their girlfriend and boyfriend were sitting on the front row. This is true. So everything was thrown my direction. I've been out of the game for a solid 11, 12, 13 years, something like that. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I just like, I didn't even know what to say. I was like, Guys, he got, he I, don't, froze. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you about Christian dating. Then I started just telling them our story. And basically told them that we did everything conventional wisdom would tell you not to do when it comes time to Christian dating. So and why don't you share your perspective of that story? Yeah, we need the other side of the yeah. story, Julie. Okay, I'm going to try to keep it like as tight as I can because I feel like this is a story that just can go off on all different directions. But we saw each other for the first time. I was 17 and you were 20? Yeah. 19? Almost 20. Yeah, 19, almost 20, yeah. Yeah, that's... that's right. <laughs> And that's all it was. I saw her. Yeah, we, it, it, it ended there. I'm from for Texas. For the record. Yes. No, stop it. You, I'm uh, from Texas. Yeah. It ended there? It, I'm all, okay, let's keep going. <laughs> I'm from Texas for the third time. <laughs> She's really proud of Texas. <laughs> In case you've never met a Texan, that's a typical trait. Okay, this is mm -hmm. like a long yeah, story sorry. that's you, getting longer. You keep going. So I was 17, he was 19, and we were me and my sister were just visiting Colorado Springs. We had some mutual friends and they were introducing me to his younger brother, ironically enough, because we're the same age. Okay. And I wasn't saved at all. I was just completely like living life in a small Texas town with partying and boys and just kind of all the things to fill the voids. And I saw Addison and was so just attracted She's to blinded her. by the light. <laughs> but I was drawn to him. Like there was something that surpassed physical attraction, although that was a great segue into the something else. And I, I we didn't talk though. Yeah. And his little brother and I was like, <laughs> there was no interest in the least. <laughs> he kind of acted like I didn't exist. I was like, what's happening? Um, and then I went back home and kind of my senior year was just like an emptying. Like so much of my life started to drop into this hopeless pit. And in the midst of that, I'm like trying to lay my like player feelers out there on my space for Addison. And he took the bait, sort of. <laughs> no, no comment. 
And we started chatting and just had a lot in common. But clearly, like spiritually, we were nowhere near on the same level. And he would throw questions out there like, what is your relationship with God like? Mm-hmm. And Or things like, how many minutes a day do you spend reading your Bible? <laughs> things that I knew she would go Google and give me something. <laughs> Like she'd be like, I spend 45 minutes a day reading my Bible. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Like your pictures on your MySpace, 45 minutes a day reading your Bible. No, this doesn't reconcile. Oh, man. So we, we chatted for a while on there, started talking on the phone, but then it just kind of fizzled out because there was this like, he lives in Colorado. I live in Texas. I was going to be going to state university and I had other boyfriends through this time. So it wasn't multiple boyfriends. It wasn't any kind of a like, Hey, <laughs> it's getting real and then I what exactly, she would lie about for the record i would ask her about them because like her status would say wow. in a relationship you know how myspace i mean y'all are old mm-hmm. enough to know myspace but barely. myspace would barely barely <laughs> in a relationship and she would have that as her status but she would tell me she didn't have a boyfriend and i would I see I multiple totally. guys hitting up her page as if they could be her boyfriend. I'm like, oh, okay, you don't have a boyfriend. You have multiple boyfriends. I see how this is working. Yeah. What's actually really funny now, though, is that there was one boy in particular who's like, who's this Addison guy in Colorado? Are you interested in him? And I was like, no, not at all. <laughs> now he's probably like, I knew it. <laughs> They've been married for 12 years. Anyway, so then a year later, I came and we met for the first time. We went on your for senior dinner. trip mm-hmm. after graduating high school. I'm trying to condense okay, it. Okay, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and we went out to dinner, and just everything was like boom, boom, boom. Like the music we listened to, the outfit he was wearing, it was instant, and we both just kind of knew. So wow. we went through that evening and spent like five hours talking, and just leveling like where we were at to a degree because there still was a process for me to to believe like I could let him see every part of me especially because early on in our relationship I had decided that I had to package myself in order for him to even stay interested so then when we're in person and there's this honesty and depth and freedom that was being made available in the midst of our relationship and so much by the power of the Holy Spirit, it, it took some convincing for me to, to eke out the pieces of myself, especially the parts that I had lied about because then it was backtracking. Mm -hmm. So that whole week though, we spent every single day together and on Friday we said, I love you. And Wow. It was like six days later. Yeah. Wow. Six days later. Yeah. And meanwhile, like my phone has been off. I haven't been talking to any of my friends. Her other friends. boyfriend's been blowing her up. Like, what? <laughs> he <laughs> was. No. And then I went home and was like, Mom, I have to move. Like, I can't stay in this small town. I mm. have to move. And um, my sister was a youth pastor at the time. I moved in with her. We long distance dated over the summer. And then I felt like God was telling me to go into a nine month like Bible school program okay. where he and I couldn't date and it was in Colorado Springs. So I would be moving to the town where he lived and we couldn't date. And it was very, very legalistic okay. and just, we couldn't was, even send each other letters. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, like nothing, nothing, no Facebook messages, no carrier pigeons, nothing. So, <laughs> and we told them though, we said, we're not going to break up. We had a wedding date set. Oh my gosh, that was a really amazing (laughs) six days. (laughs) Well, this is after the summer. Yeah, it's been like three months at this point. Okay, Okay. all right, three months. So much time. (laughs) 
And yeah. then we did. We abided yeah. by all the rules, and it was a miserable nine months. Like me and a bunch of homeschool kids, which there's nothing wrong with homeschooling, but I was she's just considering like, homeschooling her kids right now. For the <laughs> but record. I was, we talked about it over lunch. <laughs> but I was just like, what? Am, what is this? What am I doing? What am I signing up for? In the midst of even like ministry and Christianity mm-hmm. and Addison's parents being full time ministers, which I didn't even know was a thing. Guys, she didn't know what John 3.16 said before she went into this Bible school, for the record. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Which was really attractive to me in many ways because I was like, this this woman, she's on fire for God, and she's not interested in me because of my mom. Yeah. (laughs) It has to be regression. (laughs) Which was a real thing at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we, I finished that program in June. We got married in October and then pregnant with our first in January. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It was very quick. So I'm curious, Julie, what was it like coming from base, not knowing John 316 like that to then integrating into the Bevere family with uh, this heritage of ministry and all this going on? Like, is that a struggle? Like, you know even finding identity, I guess, for yourself in the midst of a really powerful family. Yeah, definitely, Jordan. It was so much of a struggle. And I spent years putting on the facades of what I thought I was supposed to be in order to to earn a place in this family. And that was never put on me. It was just my perception of what needed to happen. And then I would, I'm a deep, deep healer Mm -hmm. and so i would go into situations and perceive and then like mold myself and then be miserable after the fact and about five years into it we have two kids we're pregnant with our third and i'm just exhausted like it feels like i have not really been able to figure out who i am and i'm like 25 at this point and i'm watching my friends and of course through social media and everything else it looks like it's one way like they're getting to live their life and discover who they are Mm -hmm. and in my mind and the lies of the enemy were telling me like i was missing out i had traded my life for something else that that was just unobtainable and it was unobtainable because i was never meant to play a part i was never meant to put on these different masks of the perfect wife or the perfect mom or the perfect ministry daughter-in-law and so Mm -hmm. it was a journey of becoming something that was not me and now it's been unbecoming (laughs) and i feel like i'm almost to the place of becoming again wow but it's been you know god's been so present through all of it where it's like i've never felt um shame or condemnation it's just been like that's not me like that's not what i have for you and with addison because so much of it was internal I wasn't saying to him like, oh gosh, I'm sorry I messed up. I really, I want to you know, know more scripture or just be a better wife, like package wife and mom. And I'm sorry our kids misbehaved. It was more internal where yeah. I would just carry that stuff and act from a place of striving, of performing. So it's been a lot of undoing. You know, I, I think it's really interesting. Obviously not everybody marries into the Bevere family, but we've found even in our culture of church, people are coming in. It's a powerful culture. People are operating, you know, in powerful giftings and, you know, successful Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, whatever it may be. And I've had conversations with people that have the same, like they come in and they start feeling like this pressure that 
like I need to be something now and I want to be something in the kingdom and, and, you know, for Jesus. So like, what would you say to someone that's in that place of even that internal struggle within like, yeah, how, how do you undo this? What, you know, what's that pathway look like? I think it's, it's just simply your relationship with God, like intimacy with the father and putting that first, having it be a primary focus and goal where you are not looking to other people because it has to be first. You have to have these things in the right order or else you set yourself up for a lot of confusion. And even within Christianity, even within wonderful, beautiful Christian communities, if you are letting people have the role that only belongs to God, it's idolatry, yeah. Yeah. pure and simple. Yeah, that's a good word. That's a good word. <laughs> Let that sit for a minute. That'll preach. Wow. So over the years now, I mean, Addison, I know you've, your ministry is really kind of in a groundbreaking season as far as a big transition. So maybe talk through your role at what it had been with messenger and now what God is doing in you. And I guess through you guys as a couple, like, I think this is really like a precedent season for you, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I released my first book this year, which was everything. It was wonderful and it was terrible mm. and um, everything along that spectrum. But I, Jordan, I never wanted to do this. I never wanted to share in the public light in any respect. I ran from that for so many years. Uh, from Even from like a young age, I was terrified of it because people would come up and they would say, like, you're going to do what your parents do. I'd be like, you have no idea who I am. <laughs> Please don't put that kind of pressure on <laughs> It's me. a lot of pressure. <laughs> And I felt that, and I, I certainly ran from it, but God kept pursuing me time and time again, and it became evident when I was in my like mid-20s that God was asking me to do something that was a public form of ministry, similar to what my parents were doing, and I kept saying no. And then I remember I was in my garage. I was going into the house. I just swept the garage, and God asked me, said, are you going to do this? And I was just like, and I like I could hear God like it was mm -hmm. so loud like He arrested everything inside of me. All of my senses were alert, and I was like, "Yes!" And I opened the door and I just went inside. Right, that's all I did. The next three years are the worst years of my life. Like a complete unmaking. Um, I traveled in the opposite direction. I thought I would be doing more ministry, and I was like bracing myself for mm -hmm. that, like speaking, traveling, that kind of stuff. And it was like, no, I want you to dive deeper into operations. I wow. want you to dive deeper into serving other people. And that's what I wanted to do mm -hmm. originally until I had said yes to God. So I was confused. I was like, so God, which one is it? Because like, I'm great with just doing this. Like, this is what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I was terrified of public speaking. I was terrified of comparisons with my parents. Yeah. And I was very content with being in a support role. And um, and so, yeah, the last the last few years, there's been like this release um, in me and I'm still supporting messenger. I'm still the COO of our operation. Uh, we do, we do work in virtually every country in the world. Um, we have a very diverse operation. We have a, a big team and it's a lot to do that. And then be out here with you yeah. this weekend and land on, I'll land on Monday and it's like conference call as soon as I mm -hmm. land through the rest of the day and then dinner that night and just, I'm going straight into the week. And so it's, it's been a lot like this season has definitely been a stretching season, but I know that God is asking me to step into some new things, but it's certainly been hard for me to let go 
of the forms of service that were more comfortable for me. Yeah, so I'm curious, how uh, have you navigated not carrying the weight of the pressure of being compared to, you know, you're like John Bevere, <laughs> like you're like your mom, like, you know, how do you, yeah. how do you stay true to yourself in light of, you know, the, the trail that's been blazed by your parents? Yeah, because it's one of those things, I don't want to separate myself from their legacy. Right? Like I'm, I'm very honored to be a part of who they are and what they stand for, but I'm different than them. Mm-hmm. And my parents have done a really good job championing me and who I am, right? The unique expression that God has placed on my life and my wife has been a huge part of that as well. So honestly, Jordan, I don't even think about it anymore. That's amazing. Like that's something like I never, now if I'm in a room, like I spoke at a conference with my parents, the three of us spoke at the conference and not once did I have the thought like, oh man, they're going to be comparing me to my parents who are here speaking before and after <laughs> me. Like I can, I can honestly tell you that thought never went through my mind. That is incredible. And there was a, there was a time in my life where I would not have been able to eat for three days. I'm not kidding you. Three days leading up to that. I wouldn't have slept at all. I would have been terrified. And, and I, and some of that was God working out things inside of me because mm-hmm. I did have strengths that looked like their strengths. Mm-hmm. So I could rely on some natural ability mm-hmm. and put on a show and people be like, Oh yeah, you are like John and Lisa, but God needed to do an unmaking in me and just a stripping away to a point where it's like, God, if I get up there and if anything is half decent, like it's you. <laughs> like it's not genetic <laughs> it's like this is you and and i have felt that and in this season too of releasing a book i uh like i thought i would be really great with releasing a book like i would just put it out in the world mm-hmm. and that would be it i didn't realize it's like putting one of your children into the world and allowing everyone to comment and pick apart your child and it has felt like an extension of me and so wow. it is certainly uh, revealed some latent insecurities and fears and just thoughts about who I am as a, as an author and as a contributor and as a thought leader, it's been wonderful. But as I mentioned, it's also been terrifying. Um, and watching God do that. I look back now, the book came out in January and there have been so many amazing mountaintop experiences and so many Valley experiences. And I'm, I'm so grateful for all of them, but Jordan, I, I'm still in this process of transition. I mean, the truth is our life is a series of transition. Like we're always in transition, but it does feel like this is a year where a lot's changing for us. And of course with COVID and everything that's happening, that complicates every aspect of life. And so learning to trust like Jeremiah 17 has been a a huge um, source of hope and strength for me. Whose trust is the Lord, not whose trust is in the Lord, but whose trust is the Lord Mm -hmm. learning what it is for our trust to be in, not just in the Lord, but be the Lord himself and from that place of intimacy and knowing. So yeah, hope that answers your question. Yeah, totally. And I mean, this has been in a year probably that's accentuated that truth of constant transition and obviously even releasing a book, navigating, potentially starting to travel, speak more. That's transition on the whole family, on transition on both of you. So I guess what are keys for how you guys have navigated and handled transition successfully or maybe things you've learned as you have not navigated it so successfully. Yeah, I think, um, let's popcorn. Okay. Yeah. I think one key is definitely communication and ownership. So saying like, this isn't just his book. It was our book. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just his writing process. It was our writing process. And that ownership for me has equipped me to make the necessary sacrifices with the right heart posture where I'm not then expecting him to somehow like 
make up for the weight that he's the extra weight that he's put on me or what he's taken just having those ideas and perceptions really broken down in unity i think is is so key and we absolutely did not always do this right no and um fortunately though like we've we've had some outside help which has been really key also he's Mm -hmm. about to start on his next book project and that was one of the (laughs) contingencies i was like we need monthly marriage counseling Mm -hmm. where we can just have an outside perspective really helping us communicate well yeah because in the tension it's easy to make the other person the enemy because that's the person who's right there that's the person you can see you can touch you can blame i would say something else that we did is we established a healthy rhythm of rest mm-hmm. we started sabbathing with our kids mm-hmm. friday night to saturday night we do shabbat mm-hmm. on friday night mm-hmm. and it was a really important rhythm for us to um to have it during the season with the kids and now our, like, like we we weren't able to sabbath this week because we came here but we still did shabbat last night and the kids you know they're so excited for shabbat they're like wait you're not sabbathing with us tomorrow like it's a big deal to them and it's neat that we've been able to create that rhythm for the family and it creates a sacred space which was important for me as someone who was in the support role and still still is more in a support role in a sense to recognize like oh this is sacred not that anything goes that all time is available work time Mm -hmm. but there are very clear boundaries and sacred spaces set up so walk us through what does a sabbath look like i think this is a question that so many people you know are like searching for and it's like we like the sabbath but i would love to know like what is sabbath in the bevere family why don't you describe friday night since you do the majority of the work for friday night yeah so friday night is just food like, like we, tons of food. I make fresh bread and we do, it's, it's a pretty basic menu because um, our kids love olives. <laughs> so I'll have like two huge bowls of like gourmet olives and they're all gone, Jordan. That's I kid amazing. you not. I'm like three minutes into dinner. I need to gone. Google like how many olives is too many olives. <laughs> and then we do some kind of steak and potatoes and like a grilled yeah. vegetable and a dessert. Cause we, we try to limit sweets pretty much all other time, but we have a dessert after Shabbat meal. So we just layer. Um, I heard it said recently like pleasure layering okay. being something that you preserve for Sabbath. Wow. And honestly, if you if you are wanting to be more structured or um, strict the rest of the week, it makes it easier because you're like, yeah. oh, Sabbath is coming. Totally. So we start with that big Shabbat meal where we light candles and communion is the first thing that we do. So our kids have. Um, Which is hard with four small kids for the record. <laughs> Like when you're the yeah. one actually sharing the message with the family <laughs> and they're sticking their fingers <laughs> and they're drinking because we told them not to drink it, but it's they're sticking real life, their fingers right? and licking it off their fingers. Like, this happened last night. So it's very fresh. But they have their little cups and they'll be like, our wine, our wine. I'm all, it's just hard to drink. <laughs> tell your parents or your friend's parents that you drink wine. <laughs> so that's Friday night and Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, and then Saturday morning, it's a slow morning. We read. We normally do a big breakfast. And we play games. We go on walks. We, we do different things that the kids want to do. And we just prioritize rest and we prioritize recreation. We'll go outside and, like, play baseball and stuff mm-hmm. with the kids. Just different things that the kids want to do. And but yeah, we do it's no just slow. screens. No screens, so yeah. We're not on our phones okay. at all. Yeah. And our kids aren't on any screens. Okay. It, it's just a boundary. And we start that Friday night. 
Yeah, basically Friday night at 5 p.m. we start it. Mm-hmm. And then it goes till Saturday at 5 p.m. And then we'd normally do a movie together as a family on Saturday night. Okay. If we're all there, we'll do a family movie night. And so that's a fun way to end Sabbath because they've been off screens. Yeah. They're like, let's watch a movie. So that we'll sounds amazing. Yeah, it's it's neat. So and it's no work. Like even our, we, we're not going to talk about work mm-hmm. unless it's like dream or vision oriented. Okay. But no like logistics of life yeah. are brought into Sabbath. Wow. Now I have heard if you work with your mind, Sabbath with your hands. So, yep. and, and the contrary as well. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's something that I've seen people bring into their Sabbath, which makes sense. But for us, yeah, Sunday is our work day because mm-hmm. taking kids to church on Sunday is work. A lot of like work. That's, <laughs> that's a ton of work. And so we'll, I'll do some work around the house and then I'll also, I'll normally start on my work week on Sunday Yeah. too. What, uh, so I know a lot of people, they want, like, they hear this, they're like, I want to do that. But realistically it takes some like sacrifice oh, and yeah. like a lot of discipline. So what, I mean, it's in a, I think there's a lot of people listening to this that have their kids and their first mind goes, Oh, we could never get our kids on board with this. So what did it take to actually kind of like establish this as like a institution in the culture of your family? If, if that makes sense, you well, know, for kids, you got to make it fun, right? Like, they they don't understand the depth of the practice yet so they have to have fun doing it Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of people who bring their kids up with some form of liturgy they just assume that their kids understand why they're going through the motions and then when kids get older they're just like i don't want to do the motions anymore so we try to make it fun we try to make it a time that they look forward to so that's i would say that's been the big thing for the kids and then we do um, interject some more serious moments uh-huh. but if we try to we try to do more serious moments at the beginning like we try to make it all very much about like their spiritual experience yeah it didn't <laughs> it didn't work <laughs> only, only so much of an attention span <laughs> like, it, it didn't it did not work no six hours of intercession yeah. and, and it's amazing honestly it's amazing what your kids will feel and how they will respond when you give them your undivided attention wow. when your phone is away like it's, and I catch myself as a parent doing it when my son's trying to say something to me and I'm in the middle of a conversation, I'm texting, I'm sending an email, something like that. And I, and I see it in his eyes sometimes. He's like, oh, okay, like dad's not really here. Yeah. And so they know on Sabbath, like dad is present, mom wow. is present. We're fully engaged. And when kids know that they start to engage differently. That is really awesome. But you have to be consistent. Like we, when we started, it was about a year ago. And it was hard, it was. too, for the record. Really hard at the beginning. Like, nothing about it was natural. In fact, after the first day, we kind of looked at each other and we were like, why would we ever do this again? Okay. Like, this was not restful. Mm-hmm. But being consistent with making that space that you're protecting, because then it becomes more natural. Where, oh no, there's a birthday party on Saturday morning. That's actually when we Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Like, those things take so much energy like everything in life so having a space set apart where you're renewing and you're resting you start to crave it so once getting it started can feel difficult but then once you get into the rhythm of it you don't want to stop you don't want to miss it it's like oh gosh you need it there's a desire for it that will surpass whatever it takes to get there our four-year-old asks us all the time how many days till sabbath our That's, four-year-old wow so it's a you know it's it's now become a regular part of our lives and the kids love it well it sounds like such an anchor i mean even in the context of the transition question it's 
if we know we have this anchored space where we as a family are being yeah. refreshed and yeah. as a couple being refreshed, whatever those other six days hold, we, we can, we can get through it because Sabbath yeah. is coming again. So yeah. I, uh, that's wonderful. And Sabbath is supposed to give us a taste of the rest to come. Like really that's the idea of Sabbath is to connect us with the rest of God. It's in the rest of God that we discover the rest of God. And that's, that's kingdom living. It's a facet of kingdom living that we really struggle to understand in the busyness of our lives. And so that's something that I love about Sabbath. It's, it reminds us like this is holy, like rest mm. is holy, it's sacred. And there's nothing wrong with it. We live in a culture that in many ways says, well, if you're not hustling, there's something wrong with you. Totally. And God has always communicated with us, hey, if you trust me with a day, a week, I promise you will get done more with six days than you could in seven. And so we've seen that in our lives. We've seen it, the impact relationally, emotionally, spiritually. It's worth it. Well, those of you listening, take out your calendars. <laughs> Schedule a dinner for 5 p.m. this Friday. I know you're all convicted. <laughs> and uh, hopefully in a year from now, they can be back and we can, we can tell all of our stories too. <laughs> um, that is so good, you guys. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. This is the question that comes to my mind is, what do you feel like, and maybe this starts with you, Addison, but I think it's it's the ministry that God is entrusting to you guys, is what do you feel like God is equipping you? Like, what is your message to the body of Christ? How do you see God forming and shaping the ministry he's given you? And, you know, what is what is it that's burning? Obviously, I know saints probably captures yeah. a huge aspect of that, huge but of yeah, I'm sure there's more even potentially. Yeah, well, I was I was told when I was really young that I would be a holiness preacher. And I was like, Please, God. <laughs> Anything else than that? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! And and I I I didn't really understand what that meant. And God took me on a journey, and He's brought me to this place now where I I do recognize like that's what He's called me to do. That's what He's spoken over my life. I had so many different people confirm that, including I'm looking at your wall here. There's someone on your wall here who spoke that into my life, and I was like, I don't. I don't want that. Like, mm. I want something else. And what happened with the saints message is the saints message crystallized for me, the unique calling that God has placed on my life to speak into this area of holiness in a very different way, because holiness is not just moral superiority, which is what a lot of people think when they think of holiness. It's an otherness that we are supposed mm. to carry as the children of God. And getting to dive into that and share that in different forms, I know is a central part of my vocation as mm -hmm. far as my role as a teacher. Yeah. But as we know, calling is so multifaceted, right? Like what I do as a parent, what I do as a husband, what I do as a friend, what I, say, what I do as a son, all these things, they're a significant part of who I am. It's not just the, Mary, the message that I hold, the, the skills that I pick up along the way. It's all of it. It's a, it's a complete comprehensive expression of who God is in me. But yeah, I would say that's that's it, man. It's holiness. And I know you hear that. It's like, because I was I cringe. I was like, Ugh. but they're hearing this next week. Right. So it's after they've heard the yes. saints message. So we'll be we'll be OK. <laughs> you know, I, I don't cringe. I'm a I, my, my heritage, fifth generation Nazarene. Okay. You know, and there's oh, a lot yeah. there's a lot of people right from there. the Nazarene tribe that have kind of come into Riverhouse. So I think there's a deep love for holiness, but redigging the well yeah. of what it was intended to be, which was this life spring of transformation and a whole new way of living that's yeah. transforming the world. So I love that. That gets me fired up. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is God's defining attribute. 
is his holiness above everything else. And his love is what it is because of his holiness. His faith is what it is because of his holiness. His goodness, his truth, all of those things are what they are because of his holiness. And so the enemy of our souls would, of course, do everything in his power to disparage that facet of who God is. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I, I love it. So and saints, saints is a way for me to bring that message to a generation that is a bit tired of anything that smells like legalism and holiness is often associated with legalism. What is the best way that you've been able to navigate? And this could be for both of you to walk that line of living this other life, but not falling into the trap of holiness. Cause I think, you know, it, whether it's holiness spiritual disciplines there's all these things that it's like you're walking this tightrope that it's easy you know to you know and, and I, there's like this recoil especially within younger believers to anything that feels legalistic or performance driven yeah. so i don't know take us into your heart is how you see that even sabbath i mean that's i think why so many people don't practice it so i don't want to be legalistic i'm a new covenant believer you know so what do you say to someone like that that's good i'm <laughs> Just putting you on the spot right now. <laughs> no, something that I say to my kids all the time when we're doing Sabbath and I'm talking about the blood is like, this is actually the blood of the covenant, not the blood of the new covenant. Like the best translations just have the blood of the covenant because this goes back to a covenant that God made with Abraham. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is the Abrahamic covenant that is intended to reach every single family, every single person. And that crystallized in the person of Jesus mm-hmm. in ways that got off track. And if you look at what happened with the Sinai covenant, they said, hey, no, no, we don't want relationship with you. Mm. We want a religion. And so God set up a priestly order, even though in Exodus 19, he said, I want a nation of kings yeah. and priests. He had to set up a priestly order. And then Jesus comes onto the scene and he fulfills both covenants, the Sinai covenant, and the Abrahamic covenant. And that's why Paul in Galatians 3 and 4 is breaking that down. He's saying, hey, the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, it preceded the Sinai covenant by 430 years. Mm-hmm. So I want you guys thinking along those lines because there is an expansiveness to the good news when we see our lives through the Abrahamic covenant. So even something like that, just a little change of perspective, it starts to change everything. And when I, when I look at holiness for me, holiness is a byproduct of grace and we love grace, right? Like we'll talk about grace and we, it's almost like we put grace and holiness on opposite sides of the spectrum. And it's like, are you a grace person? or you a holiness person? Mm -hmm. And the truth is they're one in the same. We parse these different attributes of God because we can't reconcile God's immensity. So what we start to do is we start tearing him apart. And then within the body of Christ or within our own distinctions, we'll start gravitating to those parts that make the most sense to us. Mm -hmm. But truth requires us to reconcile these parts of who God is that seem contradictory. And so when I look at the journey of holiness, it's not the journey to holiness, it's the journey of holiness because holiness is not a destination. It's a process of becoming. When I look at the journey of holiness, I realize that is the journey of life. It's the journey of life in its fullness. It's the telos life. It's the flourishing life. That is the life of holiness. And it's not just about abstaining from this or abstaining from that. It's about capturing a vision of beauty and perfection. That's not perfection like you just check off a bunch of things on a list. It's a perfection that only comes through a process. Like mm-hmm. That's holiness. It's, it is the beauty of becoming. It's what we all crave. That's the tension that gives life meaning. And it's sad to me that we put that on a shelf. We're like, no, this is just for the, the do-gooders, and that's it. And so what, what the enemy of our soul does, he's like, no, you'll never be that. So don't begin journeying. And Jesus gave us a completely different picture. He went after the people who were, quote, unquote, the most unholy. And he said, hey, my gospel message, my good news is for you. 
come on in and I'm going to teach you what it means to become. I'm going to show you a love that fuels holiness. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what we got to get back to because God ultimately is coming back for a holy bride. That is the defining attribute, a holy church, a holy bride. When you look at in, in Revelation, you look at the depiction of the city of God, it's a holy city. And so we, as the people of God, we have to realize this is a part of our vocation as the people of God is to embrace what is holiness. If you look at the word saint, which they're going to hear some of this, but when you look at the word saint, it means holy one. That's what it means. And the word Christians only used three times in the New Testament. And it was used in a disparaging sense all three times. When you really dive into the context, all three times it's used in a disparaging sense. But the word saint was the identifier of the early church. It's what caused them to turn the world upside down. And if we tap back into that fresh vision of holiness, it's not just for this small group of elite people on the mm-hmm. side. It's something that we're all called to be and become. Everything in our life starts to change. Because in, in Paul gets this across so beautifully in 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 6. He's like, you are God's temple. See, God's temple was the holy place. And he says in 1 Corinthians 3, he's like, you are God's temple. God's temple is holy. And because God's temple is holy, you are holy. Mm -hmm. That's the big idea. And God's temple represented the microcosm where heaven meets earth. We're talking about on in Boise, right? As it is in heaven. So everywhere we go, as people of the spirit, we are supposed to be holy microcosms where heaven is meeting earth. Come on. And so that is why this conversation about holiness is so important. It's so good. So what do you guys say to someone that, you know, maybe even hears your story, Julie, from 17-year-old and says, like, I relate way more with I've got one foot in the world or, like, I, I don't feel anything close to a saint. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm on the side of this road. If This is this pathway that you're describing. And... Maybe they've been in church for years, you know, but it's like, I just, I, they don't see themselves as holy material. They don't, you know, St. Francis is St. Francis, <laughs> but I could never be, you know, St. Jordan or St. Ju- like, what is, what is your message to someone in that place? I think it's recognizing the way that we look at holiness and purity as things that almost like shut down the good times and lead us to this life of like drab and boring. And so having an awakening to the freedom and the expansiveness that comes from that. And it's always about like Jordan on the other side of that road. Like, yes, there is pain and there is process because that is what comes with any kind of a promise. And so what, what is it that you on the other side, who are you to your family, to your world, to your workplace, wherever it may be, like Addison said, these microcosms, that has to be more than enough to pull you through. Because then once you get into deep into this process with God, you're not even thinking about that anymore. It's like your hunger and your desire for the things of God and to see the things of God here on earth and in the lives of the hurting and the broken people who you're surrounded by. It's so much bigger than you. And so allowing God to, he kind of starts with, it's about you. And then it's like, but it's blows it up where it's so much bigger. It's about a world that needs you. It's about a world that is yearning on tiptoe for who you're intended to be. Yeah. And I would say holiness is wholeness. It is. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. I think we all have this idea with God that God is trying. (laughs) Holiness. 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 (laughs) It is his wholeness. I think we have this idea of God's trying to keep something good from us. Mm -hmm. 
And a lot of people who interact with church in a certain expression of church, like they leave thinking, shoot, I'm going to have to give up who I am or I'm going to have to give up what I enjoy doing. But the truth is about the gospel in its pure and true form is there's nothing about the gospel that is less than once we what we knew somewhere else. Nothing. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, there's nothing that you give to God that he doesn't give back to you more beautiful and more whole and more true to you. Like there's just absolutely nothing. And and so what I would say to people so like good. that is I would say, well, let's let's talk about what a saint actually is. Because if you look at how the word is used in the New Testament, it's used primarily by Paul. And who is he writing to? He's writing to Gentiles. When he says to the saints in Corinth, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Rome, he's writing to Gentiles. He's writing to brand new believers. And just read his letters. He's writing to people who are working it out. They are very messy much Christians. trying to figure stuff out. And yet he calls them saints. So there's two things I want to point out. He calls them saints because it's an identity that changes everything. So it's an identity that energizes vocation. So when they hear, wait a second, I am a holy one. I am someone who was made for a purpose. Like my life has value. Stuff starts to shift. And that's how God works. It's the power of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. God speaks things over us prophetically. And by doing so, he changes things inside of us. And he starts to move us forward in that process of new creation. Right. So, but we have to decide to lean into that tension and lean into the process because he doesn't want robots. He wants sons and daughters. And we have to choose to be a son or a daughter. Um, the other thing I want to point out, and people don't realize this about the word saint, it's never used in the singular in scripture. Wow. So we have completely messed up that term by putting it in front of people's first names. We ruined it. And by doing that, we essentially said only these people, when they've done these things, get to be canonized yeah. as saints. And then we have St. Augustine, you know, St. Teresa. But the truth is, every time it's used in Scripture, it's used in the plural form because we are saints. Wow. We together collectively are saints. It's not one of us. It's all of us. And so what the enemy did, again, like the enemy is brilliant at studying humanity and exploiting our weaknesses. What he did is he said, hey, this is a beautiful and meaningful identifier. I'm going to twist it and I'm going to get them to abuse it and use it to feed the elitism that's pharisaical and that is so ugly in following Jesus, so ugly in building the church. And so now we have centuries of work to do. I mean, we have, well, I should say we have centuries of work to undo. Because we are saints. So good. So good. I love uh, love both your hearts and just the aspect of Jesus that you're carrying. And mm-hmm. so thankful for uh, the deposit that you're making into this community. And I'm just going to ask you to, you know, just pray. I'm sure people are listening to this and they're stirred. They're convicted. They're in a good way being drawn into to something more. And I just love the holiness of Jesus that rests on both your hearts. So yeah, if you would just pray for, for the audience, um, and we'll just end it at that. Okay. <clears throat> oh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the lives that are represented by every single person under the sound of my voice. Lord, I just ask that your presence would meet them where they're at 
that you would come into their homes, into their cars, into their offices, wherever they may be, God, that your presence would just permeate where they're at and you would do your work, God, the work that only you can do. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your promises that are on our lives. And I just pray, God, that you would do the divine in them and through them, that this partnership with fellow sons and daughters and with your spirit that it would just change the world that it would change Boise that the revival that is coming that it would begin with them would begin in their lives would begin in their homes I thank you Lord for change I thank you Lord for everything that you have ahead of them in Jesus name amen amen Amen. Well, Riverhouse Church, thanks for tuning in. And thank you, Addison and Julie, for being here. You guys are just amazing. And we just feel like God has sent us a gift in both of you. So, thanks, Jordan. Love yep. being here. All right. Until next time, guys. Bye.